Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Jess McFadden, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Firstly, you'll notice I'm not Ariana. In just a few hours, she'll be flying off to Abu Dhabi with the rest of the F1 paddock. So instead, I'm temporarily taking the reins and I'm joined by Luke Smith, F1 reporter for Autosport and Hayden Cobb, editor of Autosport.com. But before we all try and make sense of exactly how that Grand Prix played out, for those listeners who tune into the podcast for the results, and we know there are a few of you, here's the short version. In a bizarre race that required two restarts and four virtual safety cars, Lewis Hamilton beat Max Verstappen to victory to set up a final round showdown as they head to Abu Dhabi level on points. That's the first time that's happened since 1974 with McLaren's Emerson Fittipaldi battling Ferrari's Clay Regazzoni for the championship. Bottas took third from Ocon in a dash to the line on the final lap, finishing just a few metres ahead. Behind them, Ricardo managed to climb up to fifth, followed by Gasly, Leclerc, Sainz, Giovinazzi, and a disappointed Lando Norris rounds up the points in tenth. 
Max Verstappen picked up a five-second time penalty for passing off the track and after the race was issued a 10-second time penalty for sudden braking and causing a collision for the brake check incident with Lewis Hamilton. But that penalty didn't end up affecting the results as Bottas was 16 seconds behind Max. There were two red flags, two standing restarts, three different pole sitters, four virtual safety cars and at least two clashes between the title rivals in a race which is easily the most frantic of the year. And with that said, and I'm pretty surprised that we managed to get such a succinct summary considering the action, I wanted to kick off the podcast as we usually do, guys, by asking you for your ratings for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. I'm really interested to know what you guys are going to say. I think there's such a mixed feeling towards this race for various reasons. But Luke, why don't we start off with you? What was your rating for the race? Yeah, very mixed feelings, actually, because we've had this amazing fight between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. Like, don't get me wrong. It was it was incredible to, to see the instance and everything that happened. And there was so much drama throughout the race. But I mean, in terms of actual like, strategy or intrigue or on-track action it wasn't actually I mean like overtaking or anything like that and a raw fight between the two two title rivals um yeah maybe it maybe didn't hit some of the heights that we've seen earlier in the season so it's a bit of a funny one um I thought it was a bit of a messy race with all of the VSCs and debris and everything like that going on um and yeah it was kind of we kept sort of having these continual battles where yeah Lewis would get close to Max Max would then be aggressive Lewis would have to back out and we sort of keep repeating that basically. So um, yeah, I, I would probably give it a, a seven or an eight, I would say, uh, probably an eight, let's say. Um, I think it, yeah, it wasn't, a, it's not the kind of race, it's a race, I mean, don't get me wrong, we will remember this so, so much. Like it's so exciting for the championship. But in terms of an out and out race, I think if you take away that lead battle throughout the rest of the field, actually it was quite sort of quite tame in places. So um, yeah, I would go with an eight. It was a, a very memorable race and a good race in many places but it wasn't uh, a 10 out of 10 or anything like that for me can i have two ratings please i'll explain why first one is the entertainment side of it in terms of what makes an entertaining race and i think you've got to go 10 out of 10 for that because like you say there was so much going on i'm so impressed the way you summed it up in about three minutes because just trying to cover it in in the written form it's like pages upon pages of of, of everything so it just had a little bit of everything that you almost forget little instances that happen here or there, which which for for the for the spectator taking out the the sporting sort of purist take on it, um, it just was it was incredible and and difficult to keep up with. But as Luke said, I think yeah, from from perhaps more sort of pure sporting racing situation, take a few marks down from there. I'd, I'd agree on sort of the the seven because. Yes, the the battle at the front was great, but maybe we didn't see a great deal else going on. But that probably because of the Japsuit carnage that was actually unfolding everywhere you looked. Yeah, it was definitely, I think, a controversial... I don't even want to, because obviously it's been questioning as to whether we are even going to call it a race. And I guess in the in the fallout, in the quotes that have come out post-race, Max and Red Bull have very much vocalised the fact that they don't believe this is Formula One, that this was an example of penalties and politics getting in the way of, quote unquote, racing um which i'm sure we're going to get onto when we get round to the penalties but i thought i have to agree with you guys in terms of i mean my heart rate i don't think dipped below 160 bpm for that entire length of time of the race 
should maybe see your doctor about that, Jess. I, I mean, genuinely, I felt like I'd been... Treat this treat this as therapy. <laughs> this is a safe space for you. It's time to, to talk over the troubles that we've just witnessed and go from there. I mean, it's been great. I feel like I don't have to go for a run because I basically did however long we had of, uh, of, of some hard cardio based on the fact that it just never seemed to want to calm down. It just had, every time you thought it couldn't twist anymore, it twisted again. And the momentum just seemed to swing between uh, Lewis and Max throughout. But in order for us to really process and analyze and give the listeners a bit of a, a viewpoint on exactly what happened out in Saudi Arabia today, I thought we would try and attack this by going through it in chronological order. Just the major points, otherwise we will probably be doing a five hour podcast. Um, but why don't, we, why don't we begin? Because I guess to your point, Luke, the race started off quite simply. Given the start for Formula Two, we'd seen that it can get quite chaotic and there was also throughout the weekend the the worries about the safety um of of the track and and formula two with the the crash that we saw in formula two as well um not necessarily to do with the the circuit itself but obviously was quite a uh, a harsh start of to race procedures today um what did you what did you make of the of the start of the grand prix and how what did you believe was going to be playing out did you think it was going to be that boring the whole way through or did you know that chaos was most likely coming well no it was a quite a serene start and it tallies with a lot of well it tallies with what a lot of drivers said that it would be one of two races it would either be chaos and crazy and lots going on or it would be very tame and not a lot happens. And I think back to Baku when it had its first race, the F2 race was absolutely crazy. All of the F1 guys saw it and thought, oh, okay, if I take it easy and just get to the finish, that'll probably be enough. And it ended up being a really tame, boring race. And uh, yeah, Daniel Ricciardo, I spoke to him post-race and he said that he'd like spoken to his mates back home in Australia and they were like, oh, should I like stay up for this? Because obviously it's very late in the day in terms of their time zones. And he said to them, he was like, eh, I'm not sure because it'll either be like really great or really, really boring. So I think there was always that thought that there would be some kind of drama. But yeah, when the start happened, it was all very sort of quiet. And I thought, okay, we might be might be all right here. Like everything may go pretty smoothly with no no major issues, no major drama. Then it was Mick Schumacher's crash on lap 10 at turn 22 that obviously sparked everything off really and uh, yeah, did bring out eventually that first red flag. And that really sort of set the wheels in motion for, for what would follow. But yeah, no, there was a point when I did think, oh, this might actually be quite a, a chill race. And truth be told, after the Formula 2 crash and uh, yeah, uh, Theo Porsche thankfully has said that he's he, he's fine, he feels he feels okay. Um, still waiting to see if he'll race in Abu Dhabi. Um, Enzo Fittipaldi, um, he was known to be conscious when he left the car. There's no official update on his condition um at the, at the moment i think we all just wanted a very straightforward race really with very safe race that was the big thing and we'll get on to the safety aspects and the track itself much later on i know um but yeah the start itself i did kind of think oh this might actually be quite a quite a chill one and uh, chill it was not well not chill but i, I think a factor in the yeah it all becoming undone was obviously the red flag but before that was the calling of the safety car after Schumacher crashed because you put the Mercedes pair into pit. Obviously, they lose track position to Verstappen stays out, which is on on paper the, the, the right thing for both teams to do. But then, of course, Verstappen gets his free tyre change as well as others do. So there was plenty of winners and losing that. But the, those are obviously the main focus. And then, therefore, you've got Verstappen ahead of an aggrieved Mercedes team. Uh, the, it's the rules of the rules. And, uh, and I do believe Verstappen, uh, sorry, Hamilton benefited from that in Imola earlier this year 
when he was struggling and managed to basically get a free check of tyres and a big chunk of time gained. So swings and roundabouts on that. But um, yeah, that's it. The wheels of motion for, for carnage. The safety car to red flag scenario was questioned by by Lewis at the time. He he very angrily wanted to understand why Massey had had decided Michael Massey that is had decided to 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 call a red flag. Kind of I guess maybe was his was his grievance to do with the length of time between safety car period and red flag decision, given that you know we've we had incidents there before and it seemed to be a slam dunk red flag if anybody came off in turn 22. But obviously, yes, his concern was very much to do with the fact that then Max Verstappen gets a free pit stop, essentially. What do you guys make? Because Lando Norris was quite vocal about this as well after the race in that he he believes this to be a, a silly rule that when a red flag uh, is waved, you get a free a free choice of tyres uh, for the for the restart. What do you what do you make of that? Is that something that that we should be looking at, or is as Hayden said, is it, the rules be the rules, and it kind of is just a it's just a fact in in the playbook of F one. Yeah, it's 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 a strange one, isn't it? Because it is in the rule book, and it does allow for sort of things such as this to happen. And uh, Hayden, you mentioned Hamilton's recovery under the red flag at Imola, for example. I mean, that that saved his race. Otherwise, he would have been a lap down. Um, it's happened many times over the years where, yeah, drivers do just luck in basically to that. And when Lewis Hamilton asked Mercedes about it over the radio, um, James Vowles and and Bono came back and they explained that, well, that was always sort of a risk that would be run when there is a safety car and a driver stays out, that if it does turn to a red flag, they've essentially had a free pit stop. So, uh, yeah, I know I understand why, like Lando, for example, will feel aggrieved about it, but also it goes both ways, doesn't it? Like it's just part of the strategic sort of elements involved. But I think, yeah, from a purist standpoint, though, it is a little bit weird, isn't it? That a driver ultimately benefits from not doing something or not pitting and and, and just staying out. So it's, uh, yeah, I think that, I think the length of time it took to go from a safety car to a red flag as well, I think that was, yeah, it maybe, maybe took a little bit longer than, than expected, or maybe it should have. But uh, yeah, I think that, from a purist point of view, maybe that's a, a rule that does need to be looked at because it does seem to be the kind of thing where drivers aren't really rewarded for anything much more than just getting a bit lucky. As always with these things, it's always a multiple of factors involved. As you say, the, the, the late delay between initially a safety car to red flag to allowing the people to pit stop um, before the red flag showed. But just the, the scenario, I guess, there is, is the key point of of when that, that changes and you allow those those drivers that opportunity if it's called much earlier not ne- nobody necessarily gains nor loses on that and that was just down to to the call they made at the time which i think is probably a theme of of the race as well that is is going to come under a lot of scrutiny in terms of certain calls that were made at certain times by uh, race direction and and the FIA sort of stewards in terms of who was at fault and who necessarily wasn't at fault Yes, for sure. I think there's a lot of finger pointing still being uh, still going on, uh, and I'm sure will go on right into uh, next weekend. Um, I don't feel like we're going to hear the end of this uh, for a number of reasons. But um, so obviously that we've, we've we've had the first red flag, which has triggered the the first race restart, um, which didn't last very long. Um, that restart seemed to be a little bit more chaotic than the first. We had the incident where uh, Leclerc and Perez came together at the exit of turn two, uh, and that also had the knock-on effect of Mazepin, quite quite scarily rear-ending George Russell, uh, to which, again, he has 
been very vocal about safety concerns um, off the back of that that clash. Uh, Luke, you spoke to Russell in the in the pen. What did he have to say about that? Yeah, he was he was very open about it, and he right the way through the weekend has been talking about the blind corners, the safety concerns that he had about the track, and he said that this incident really did highlight the issue that it was so narrow at that point that you couldn't you couldn't really go anywhere. That yeah, he had to slow down, and Mazepin had nowhere to go, so went ramming really hard into the rear of his car, um, and it was it was a really scary incident. And the first thing I said to both of them was, "Are, are you okay?" And thankfully they were all good. Mazepin said that it kind of just proves F one safety again, because otherwise I may not be here. Um, his chassis, I understand, isn't so well off. I think there's uh, yeah a lot of a lot of damage to that. But um, yeah, I mean, George said that it's something that most people has to learn from. He said that he would like to see some changes to the Jeddah track next season. Um, he said there's a lot of unnecessary kinks and corners through the track. He said if you make it a straight line, it would just make things so much safer. Um, and he said that it, it just sort of it doesn't really add anything. It just makes it dangerous because you do have these blind corners going round. And and um, Nicholas Sativi actually explained it quite well as well. He said that even under the virtual safety car you're sort of looking at your dash to look at the delta and okay I've got to stick to this time but he said then you like look at the dash look up oh it's another corner and he said it's just so hard to like just keep going between the two basically and and to, to and to keep it going because you never really you never really stop um so yeah I think that is something that I think the organizers do have to look at and I think it's going to be a conversation that is had with Formula One um Michael Massey seemed quite dismissive of it in the and we'll get on to Massey later um but in his in the audio that was supplied to the media. I'll word it like that for a reason. Yeah, he said that, oh, it's just a few tweaks here and there to the track. But I personally think that, yeah, there there does need to be a sort of a wider reaching look at it because I think the instance highlighted the problems. I mean, yeah, Mazepin said that Checo's car went sideways and it was taking up 75% of the track. So the only place he could go, the other 25% was literally the rear of George's car. So yeah, a really nasty shunt, just really thankful and good to see everybody walk away from it. But um, it just highlighted exactly the kind of issues that, that we were thinking could happen and ultimately did happen. Yeah, I think even just for people watching at home to try and get a, a sense of, of the of the layout, I guess the, the closest thing that I could try and glean from just how blind this track is was when the on-screen graphics that were trying to show the distance between Verstappen and Lewis, uh, the graphics had to keep disappearing as Max uh, would go round a kink um, and the graphics weren't on screen ever for more than mm, maybe a second or two before they'd have to disappear again because Max disappeared off screen and and if you're talking about the gap at that point between the two drivers was about a second just over a second um, it just goes to show just how blind this uh, track is um, and something that yeah I agree probably does need uh, a look at and not just to be kind of swept over under the rug at the front of that pack though was was probably the the first sign of elbows out at the front um, and we saw Max Verstappen cut turn two to take the lead at which point when the red flag called out we then got a very interesting scenario to punish that corner cutting from Max Verstappen, um, which I know everybody is quite eager to talk about, is the uh, the deal or no deal between Michael Massey and Red Bull. You just you just needed Noel Edmonds to turn up and I think it would have been complete, that, that scene. It did feel quite strange. It did feel quite strange. Hayden, what did you make of that? I because I was on the live text commentary on autosport.com at the time um well for the for the entire race but at the time covering this and I'll be honest with you I had no idea what was going on 
because I've never, I honestly had never heard nor seen anything like this. I'm sure Luke will be able to confirm whether that was a, a normal scenario, as as Massey may or may not have uh, mentioned. Yeah, the, the bartering system to to basically with Red Bull to say, do you take third place or drop a position? Or do you risk it and go to the stewards like they're some sort of banker that could give them a worse deal or a better deal or no deal at all? It was just very confusing. It, it, it's like a ref. I know it's going to be a, a loose and terrible analogy, but it's like a comparison would be going to a football referee and, and the referee going to the player, right, I can give you a yellow now or you can risk it and later I might give you a red. No, that's that's not how it works. With, with the greatest respect, I th- and this, I, I do appreciate the let them race mantra because that is something the drivers have wanted. But there's other times where the referee or the race director has to enforce these rules and there shouldn't be a bartering process and they should sort of say, right, these are the rules, stick to them. But because the, the, the drivers are now saying that they don't know what the rules are. So I know this isn't on track stuff, but this is a sort of part and parcel of all of that. So, yeah, um, I don't know if Luke, if you've got a, anything about Massey or, or, or what happened on that situation. When we do have an incident like this happen in a normal racing situation without a red flag, it will often be that race control will go to a driver or team and say, we suggest you give that position back. And we saw that at the early part of the race. I believe Stroll overtook Russell off track on the opening lap um, and the stewards noted it. But then by the time that they came to like look at it again, they swapped positions back. So I assume the place was given back and then they said no investigation necessary. So that is a very normal thing. Obviously the red flag happens. So therefore you can't, therefore it kind of removed that opportunity for that uh, suggestion to have been made, let's say. So from that side of it, I do sort of understand where Massey is coming from. The media has not had a chance to talk to Michael Massey tonight after after this race. After I think what has probably been one of the most hectic and decision-filled weekends for Formula One in a long time. Instead, we were given a three-minute audio file in which Massey was asked, I think, three or four questions. Well, first he said it wasn't a deal. He said he didn't offer a deal, even though he used the word offer when he was actually talking to Jonathan Wheatley on on the pit wall. He said that is my offer. Clearly, Red Bull, if they thought, okay, Max might be in trouble here. That's why they took it. Like, you would obviously take that, wouldn't you? If it's a choice between where you're going to be first on track, but a risk of a, a five-second penalty or whatever, or you start third and you got a chance to be first again, like, in a few corners time, which is exactly what Max did, you're every day of the week going to take that. So Max kind of kind of got away with it, basically. It completely changes the, the whole strategy and, and everything. Like, there's no... I think, Hayden, the football analogy is perfect. Like, there's no real... The, you can just do it, try and get away with it. And if you don't, it's that, okay, well, it's, it's no big loss. Like you're only going to be, um, well, in the end, like a place place behind Lewis um, for, for the restart. So yeah, it, it was very bizarre. Um, I'm very disappointed we didn't have a chance to actually talk to Massey about that and get a full explanation. But his the way he worded it was that it was quite a, a normal thing that was done. It just doesn't look good. It doesn't look good to basically say to a team, well, choose your penalty. What do you want? Do you want to risk it? Do you want to think, okay, we're going to keep track position, keep the lead, but you might get a penalty or do you just want to accept one now? My understanding is though that Mercedes was in Formed of what Massey was going to suggest to Red Bull. So I don't know. That doesn't suggest there's any sort of reaction from Mercedes about it. Toto Wolff said after the race that he wouldn't want to be a race steward or in Massey's seat because he said there's going to be 100 decisions in a race and some of them are obviously going to be controversial. Christian Horner was quite punchy post-race. He said today's the kind of day that we really miss Charlie Whiting. I think very punchy. Uh, maybe it would. Maybe it is just a colloquialism 
to use the term offer or deal, um, maybe, because I also couldn't tell if they were purposefully being very civil over the radio to one another because they now know that it's broadcast and there's been quite a lot of uh, chat about the sassy massy hotline, etc., and whether or not they were doing that for our benefit. But the thing that smacked for me was that he didn't seem to know, or the FIA didn't seem to know, where Ocon was going to line up. And I found... Ocon being put on pole, extremely weird. The point of penalising Max or making Max give a position back was because of the the restart. And if we were going to, if uh, as we usually do, do count back on restarts, then technically we never got a single lap in. So technically we should have just restarted the original restart. But there didn't seem to be a lot of clarity or understanding as to where Ocon was going to p- position for for that restart and ended up on pole. Hayden, did you find... Was it just me? Oh, no, trust me. I was trying to figure out where, where Ocon was meant to be lining up uh, in a basically a three-car grid dynamic. And first place wasn't the, the place I was going to put him. But um, I bet he was delighted, to be honest, because he's had absolutely nothing to do with it. But... Um, some, somehow he has uh, he got into first position for for at least a couple of corners. So um, yes, really really odd one, but uh, but power to Esteban. I'm sure he was ha- delighted with it. Him being in that position then again was a catalyst for then what was to go on in the in the rest of the race because by being out of position and being in the way of the two title contenders who were going to go hammer and tongs to get in front of each other because of everything that's just gone before, he basically made a Lewis Hamilton sandwich with Max Verstappen and obviously then caused the next incident to go ahead, which again, not very long into the restart, we get our next lot of controversy. As we know, uh, was uh, Ocon finds himself immediately alongside Hamilton and Verstappen swerves from the outside line to cut off Ricardo, and then dives down the inside of both leaders at turn one, which was quite a... I mean... Elbows out, which we like to see. Um, but Luke, what did you make of that uh, that turn one move by Verstappen? Was that was that stating his intent? It was mega, actually, and it's kind of it's kind of the weird thing. Like Verstappen is going to get a lot of criticism after today for his aggression, but that same aggression led to a brilliant move into turn one. He absolutely sent it. Uh, yeah, squeezed up the inside, and he basically, yeah, he made quite clear. Like, I, I'm I'm coming through. And uh, yeah, managed to get both cars into into that corner, which was great. And um, I was actually halfway through interviewing George Russell in the pen. Um, and he said, oh, can we quickly stop so we can watch the restart? And I was like, yeah, sure. Saw Max uh, like send it and do that move. And, and George sort of like, like slapped his knee and sort of in a, like a, not like in a like damn way or anything like that. But I think pretty clear where his allegiance will be lying. But um, hell of a move, basically. So fair play to him. I think I thought that was, that was a really bold you got that perfectly summed up there, Jess. Yeah, a real statement from Max to that this is what I'm doing. I want to seize this race. Um, and yeah, if that had been the move that won him the race, phew, fair play. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, we're only on lap 18 um, at this point or even lap 17 by this point. That's about an hour and a half into the race. So don't worry, time-wise, time <laughs> it's all relative. We've seen already the momentum swing between the two title contenders and again, it looks like maybe Verstappen's got this under control. He momentarily reported that he had a lack of power, uh, which was a little bit worrying, but it seems to uh, sorted itself out pretty quickly. Did we did we find out what that 
that was? Was it just a battery issue? So I was in the media pen and I, I, um, you, I, you watch, there are screens there, but there's no commentary. So like, even after the race, like I was literally just like, oh, like what exactly happened with like the deal and Massey and stuff? So you have to go back. So no, I didn't actually know that Max had that. But yeah, I mean, that, that happens every now and then, doesn't it? That you, you hear, a, yeah, I'm down on power, but it solves itself out. Yeah, battery topping up. Yeah, 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 battery topping up. Thank you, Hayden. That is that is correct. So nothing really to worry about. And obviously Hamilton at this point had had passed Ocon down the straight. Ocon did say that he knew he wasn't really going to be racing the top two. And so he did say he let them pass uh, or let Hamilton pass because he's not racing with them. Saving face, I'm sure. But also lap 23. So just a few laps later, we've got another incident. Sonoda in the wall after contact with Vettel. And also, I guess, I, I'm guessing you guys also clocked the battle between the two Ferraris that was going on just before the the incident. So it was all getting rather, rather punchy back in, uh, back at that section of the, of the track. We obviously then get our first lot of VSC uh, scenarios where I saw a lot of people complaining that this race was basically just turning into one long VSC period. Uh, again, it did seem to go on for, for quite a long time. There were uh, there's a lot of complaints in terms of the condition and safety of the track again, with debris being everywhere. Alonso was very vocal at the fact that it was the worst conditions that he'd seen the, the race in uh, and, and that he felt like there should be a safety car, if not a red flag, uh, to get rid of that. Again, what was going on there why why was there not a call to clear that debris or why was it such an issue at this track in terms of the vsc taking so long why a vsc in that scenario and not say a full safety car to clear that up because it did seem to be quite an issue it was on the racing line for a lot of it so i asked um latifi about that after the race and he said yeah it did seem odd that they didn't just do a full safety car just to get it cleared and by then the field had sort of spread so much that actually there wasn't much of a gap because normally say it's at the start or whatever and the field is quite bunched it's quite easy for a, a marshal to run on get a bit of debris cleared and then and then run back off again but when the field sort of spreads out a bit that becomes more and more difficult so no um yeah it was uh yeah, I, th- I think that was really sort of the main issue there. But no, I agree. I think it was odd that they didn't go, okay, let's just do a full safety car, get everything cleared as much as possible. Um, yeah, street tracks, it's always tricky. Like debris is always going to be picked up. It was quite, um, there's quite a few incidents. I mean, obviously the Vettel Snowder, Vettel and Kimi as well, that um, left a lot of debris coming off both of those cars. So uh, yeah, I think it was a few factors involved there. But um, no, I was surprised. And it sounded like the drivers were as well. They didn't just go, Look, let's just full safety car it and um, get everything cleared. The first VSC, you're looking to pick up the first bit of debris and think, oh, that'll clear it off, we go again. And then unfortunately, there's been, yeah, and then a sequence of two, three, maybe even four, I can't remember now, uh, VSCs in a row to pick up debris. And obviously, as you say, if if the marshals and if race control are aware of all the bits of debris around the track, the sensible thing would have been, as you say, because of gaps and bunches, put everyone together under the, the proper safety car do it all then, take up, yeah, two, three laps in a sort of traditional sense and then get get the thing rolling again. It did also strike uh, during the sort of the second start, there was talk of, of potentially doing a, a rolling start, which obviously you'd have uh, behind a safety car anyway, which, which certainly wasn't sort of gone to at all in, at any point. That was basically the only thing we were, we were missing in, in the race. Um, and... I, okay, you'd only pick those normally in conditions if it's particularly sketchy or dodgy. But uh, whereas obviously dry and uh, and and full of grip is not it's not going to necessarily necessarily need that. But I guess hindsight's I guess a useful thing from that. If they'd known about all the debris in the various spots, then uh, 
they would have swept all up in one go. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll need to, to find answers on that one or, or have to make answers ourselves, unfortunately. One thing I noticed during these uh, virtual safety car periods was that Hamilton seemed to be reeling in Verstappen. Was that because Verstappen was getting held up in traffic? I think there was at least one scenario where he got stuck behind, was it Raikkonen? Uh, he was questioning whether, why White Raikkonen was driving so slowly, but he, he was, I mean, he, he was accusing that of the safety car as well. He seemed, everybody was driving too slowly for Max today. Was there anything to look at? I expected some kind of appeal, to be honest, from Red Bull about that that VSC, but nothing untoward there. That was probably where a normal race would have shown the, the pace difference between the cars if we didn't have so many stoppages and, and pit stop strategies would have actually been a, a thing in this in this race. Ultimately, Hamilton did have the faster car in in a race pace and it was coming together coupled with obviously Verstappen going long on those on those medium tires having changed them and Hamilton having a bit more tire life to use on on the hards uh, as the race progressed. Hamilton got within striking distance and went to strike and this is where we saw the first coming together of the of the two leaders uh, or the two front runners. Luke can you take me through exactly what happened there because this is kind of again one of the key turning points of the entire race. Well, yeah, but this was what Verstappen ultimately landed the five-second time penalty for because they were going into turn one. Hamilton uh, moved to the outside. Max pushed Hamilton wide as, as he has tended to do a lot this season. He, he does do that. Uh, and Max in defending, he was he left no room basically on the left-hand side. So Lewis couldn't have gone up the inside. So Lewis had to go to the outside uh, and Verstappen yeah he just he pretty much sent it and, and basically missed the corner uh, and it meant that both him and Hamilton went off uh, across the runoff area and then rejoined the track at turn two but ultimately that was Verstappen leaving the track and gaining a lasting advantage which is what the stewards uh, would ultimately ping him for um, and uh, yeah there was the, the back and forth on the radio about um, giving back the position um, to Hamilton which then led to the incident that we're going to come on to in a, in a little bit. And yeah, and it was just, it was a very aggressive move as again, we've come to kind of expect, but it was a bit like uh, Tosa Wolf after the race said the incidents today were a bit like Brazil reloaded. And it was very similar. Yeah, they were, when they were going into turn four and Hamilton was on the outside and Verstappen basically kept on going and didn't make the corner. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's a very, very similar situation. So that was ultimately what, landed for Sapp and the penalty because he did gain a lasting advantage and he didn't give the position back in the end um, because of what happened with the uh, uh, with the incident that would follow. Yes, Hayden, do you want to take us through the incident that follows? I can try. In my sort of understanding of it, we have a bit of, I'm uh, not bartering, but um, the, the talk of giving the place back between if I Red Bull. Another deal, is that? Potentially, deal or no deal. That's in. That's what Verstappen's being told, which again is a bit more of a yeah traditional one in terms of to avoid a penalty, please hand the position back. That's been seen before. Here we go. Which obviously came in in oh, the start of the season, Bahrain, when he gave the position back very friendly. As this was all going on around the lap, obviously the communication channels from FIA to, to Mercedes to tell them that that was going to happen there's obviously a few link of chains that it needs to go through Ron Meadows and then to uh, Pete Bonington, the uh, Hamilton's race engineer, and then to Hamilton himself. And by the sounds of it, the communication lines weren't quick enough, which you can't really blame Mercedes or anyone in that situation, but it didn't quite get there in terms of knowing exactly what was going to be happening and, and perhaps when. And then there's obviously a clearly miscommunication that's, that's put them together there. And, uh, 
and we get to a bit of a sticky situation. Ron Benno seemed very panicked on the phone in the aftermath after Lewis Hamilton shunted into the back of, of Max Verstappen. But Luke, what did you what did you make? Because a lot of people on Twitter that are kind of in the Max wasn't at fault camp for this scenario in particular said, well, Max left room, he slowed down. Why on earth didn't Hamilton go around him? I mean, why wouldn't Hamilton go around him regardless of whether he knew if that Max was giving the pl- position back to him or not because I mean a gap opened up why didn't why didn't Hamilton go for the gap he said in the stewards uh, briefing afterwards when he when he met with them that he yeah he he wasn't aware he hadn't been informed that that Verstappen would be giving the place back so um yeah and Verstappen kind of it was at it was at a pinch point on the track in all fairness like it wasn't at the widest point of the circuit which would have been a little bit further down the straight um it was uh, yeah it was at a very narrow point Verstappen did move around a little bit as well um he downshifted all the way from eighth gear to third gear so it's quite a long way and it was already part of this sort of cat and mouse game to try and get DRS to ensure that basically if he gave Hamilton the position back he did it in a way so that Hamilton would be ahead of him as they hit the DRS detection point Verstappen would then have DRS and that would allow him to basically re-overtake in theory uh, Hamilton when they uh, go back onto the main straight so it was uh, that's what it was really down to it was this cat and mouse game and Verstappen um, was told uh, strategically was the word that the stewards used by Red Bull in how he gave back that place uh, to Hamilton. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, that I mean, it sort of happened at a very, very narrow point on the circuit and led to that collision that, uh, yeah, Hamilton, his front wing was left with damage. Um, Red Bull claimed afterwards that Verstappen um, picked up, um, uh, I think Helmut Marco told one of our colleagues that there were uh, cuts on his tyres that meant he couldn't push towards the end as they would have liked because he um, uh, because of that. So it was, uh, yeah, I, I get what people are saying. Like, okay, well, if there was a gap, why wouldn't Lewis just go for it? But it, was, it wasn't exactly at the widest point, let's face it. It was a, a bit of a pinch point on that straight because Max wanted to get it done early enough so he could get DRS uh, when they went back onto it. And, there, and therein sort of lies, I guess, the, the guilt in terms of telling Verstappen to do it strategically. Now, if this was a, a penalty scenario, strategy doesn't come into it. You, you serve the penalty irrespective of, of your strategy. Again, letting them sort of sort themselves out, although good in theory, creates these very unusual situations of, of like you say, trying to basically get DRS on each other, doing it at a point of the track that is narrow, so therefore you can't get a good run. All these different factors that, that add into it, but you would, I would say that the FIA and race control need to be stronger on and say, no, this, this has to happen in this way. You can't just sort of make it up as you go along. And, and, and this is where uh, it's a lot of different factors that end up making these situations, but that's, that's, how, that's how this has happened ultimately post-race they've judged Verstappen to to, or Red Bull and Verstappen to be at fault and given him the post-race 10 second time penalty which in retrospect obviously doesn't change anything he still finishes second in the race the the seriousness of of what happened um, was was fairly clear so again I think that was the probably the right call I don't know if any of you agree on that post-race penalty he was definitely at fault there, yeah. And the data shows it. The steward said that there was a 2.4G deceleration by Verstappen on the brakes. And as I mentioned, you see him downshift all the way from, from eighth gear to third gear. And yeah, I get, yeah, he was trying to be strategic, fine. But it could have been done a lot cleaner and a, a, a much different and safer part, part of the circuit. So uh, yeah, I thought the penalty, I think it was right that he got a penalty. 
I think the stewards basically deemed it. I think they just went by the rule book and said, okay, what would we normally dish out for causing a collision and, and kind of kind of stuck to that. I think maybe with the wider context of, uh, yeah, the fact that he didn't actually lose any places or anything, it's kind of a bit of a immaterial penalty, isn't it? But they ultimately stick to the rule book and they can't sort of look at it as, a, well, it's not going to cost him play, so does it need to be wound up or wound down in terms of how much of penalty is given? I, I thought it was quite cheeky what Verstappen was trying to do and um, Ricardo after the race, like we said to him, did you see it? And he was like, oh, I saw a bit of it, but I don't really get what happened. And we explained it and he was like, yeah, that's a little bit cheeky, like to try and do that, to try and get DRS back. But I mean, Hayden, you make a really good point. There's nothing in the rule book saying you can't do that. Like, you just got to give back the place. But um, yeah, think of Lewis Hamilton and Felipe Massa at Spa in 2008. Hamilton gave the place back, he, he thought, so that was fine. And then he went to, um, sorry, with uh, Kimi Raikkonen and then went to re-overtake him uh, two corners later, basically. So it's, uh, yeah, there's a bit of a grey area there, I think. Uh, but no, I think it was absolutely a, a penalty for, for Verstappen. I think it was, uh, yeah, he could have done that in a much cleaner way. But I do understand that they were trying to be strategic in terms of when they gave that place back. Are we going to call it strategic or are we going to call it game playing? Because I found there was a lot of game playing going on. Isn't it on. the same thing? Well, strategic to me sounds like it's like tactical in terms of it's smart and you're using within the boundaries of the rules. I mean, they found, they were found today to not be within the boundaries of the, of the rules. So on the first instance, when Verstappen was meant to give back the place, he immediately took it, he immediately took it back from Hamilton. He was like, I've given you the place. But I'm going to take it back because I can. Playing within the boundaries of the rules. But I did feel like the attitude from the Verstappen and the Red Bull camp, very aggressive. I mean, we're at the pointy end of the season and we have a championship at stake here. I totally understand why this would be the case. But it did feel like, and the point I want to get to is that after all of this, Hamilton, one of Hamilton's quotes that really stuck out to me was the fact that he said he uses his experience of keeping his nose clean and keeping his head cool to win championships. Was if if it comes down to obviously we're going to go into Abu Dhabi next weekend, this weekend technically I guess because you know for Luke it is it's oh for both of us for all of us for it's everyone. Monday morning. <laughs> um, this weekend we're going to Abu Dhabi. They're equal on points. It's essentially a a one race shootout for the for the title. Yeah. Winner takes all. Winner takes all. I mean absolutely amazing for us if it does go lewis hamilton's way will will it be races like this that that really show the difference between an eight-time potential eight-time world champion and a and a young phenomenally talented driver yet to win a championship i'm not entirely sure the difference in experience is the deciding factor here i think it actually just comes down to their approaches and how they go about things and lewis even when he was starting out, he wasn't, um, he, he didn't pull moves. I, I think I'm right in saying that it didn't pull the kind of moves that I think we, we've seen from Max. And I think that, that that is how Max is approaching things. That's his mantra. It is it is that sort of Senna-esque idea of if you no longer go for a gap, then you're no longer a racing driver. I think that's really what it more comes down to. And Hamilton said after the race, that I've raced a lot of guys who are at the very top of their games with lots of different characteristics and some of them will keep going over the limit. And he was asked, basically do you mean max and he went yeah max was was over the limit and um he said that he feels that max um that the rules don't apply to max in terms of like keeping within the white lines and everything and he made a couple of references in his post-race interviews to that 
keeping it within the white lines. So I think that, but I think, yeah, come Abu Dhabi, I think that you'll look at races like, I think particularly Brazil, I think that was a very obvious one. They had their turn four saga where they both ran wide. But then the second time Hamilton got side by side with him, he didn't do the same thing. He let Verstappen basically hold the position. He was like, okay, I'm just going to abide my time a little bit longer. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that I think that does, it is experience, but I think it's also just the approach as well. It is that Lewis, time and time again this season, has been the person who has been avoiding the collisions. And I'm sure this will set off the autosport British bias klaxons. But it, it is true. Max has been, he's been aggressive and he has really and that that's his style and that that's the way he's going to go about things and basically say look either you give up the position or neither of us get through this corner uh points that's worked this year i mean look at imola uh, in the early part of the season i mean he was very aggressive but he got the position and and that was that was key to his race so i think the experience i think obviously yeah it is a, it is a factor and i think that come out and be i think that's really going to be the test for Verstappen in terms of how do you deal with a final race decider? How do you deal with such a tense situation? Um, but I think that what we saw today in terms of their varying approaches, I think it just comes down to their characteristics and how they do things as drivers more so than the golf and experience between them. I was going to completely disagree with you, Luke, but now you, you've made a very good point and a very good case for him. Um, Aha. My point on... on, on Verstappen and, and sort of lack of experience was him sort of learning from these and, and going back to that sort of that Bahrain first race example of basically just free, freeing up the first position and then not being in that position ready to to attack straight away and basically Hamas got away and then was able to win to win that race and he said after that that right I've, I'm going to learn my lesson from this take that experience and then be sort of when those opportunities come up try and use that strategy or gamesmanship or however you want to, to, to describe it to take advantage. And ultimately that's something he has tried today, but not necessarily worked. But uh, I don't think he anticipated being uh, rear-ended by Hamilton. Well, neither of them were. But um, yeah, I think had he not done that, then he probably would have been fine with it. Um, so in terms of learning from those experiences, like you say, um, being aggressive, that is... Verstappen in 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 a word, and they're they're very very different personalities, both off the track and on the track. And I think that is always going to be Verstappen over the next few years. It's how he refines that and uses it in in the right way and and at the right times. There have been a fair few races. You say at the start of Vimola is a, is a good example where it's been on the right side of of what is correct and and I think that's ultimately where he's got a lot of fans from and, and, and a lot of people that support him for for the way he approaches racing and, and it's just finding that fine line of, of not going too far over over the other way and, and and unfortunately I think the last few races um that we've mentioned Brazil and then obviously uh, Saudi Arabia this weekend it, it's gone perhaps too far the other way and, and that could be down to the pressure of the championship fight it could be sort of how how the cars are performing on on, on the given weekends and and the risks perhaps he's having to to take more take more risks because of say car deficits or, or or tire deficits or something like that compared to where he has the faster car and strategy. If we look back through the history books of Formula One, we've had plenty of what we what at the time and and now looking back on it reflect retrospectively have been rather aggressive drivers that have been extremely successful um as you say it's an interesting driving style i'm i for one am very interested to see how this is going to play out in abu dhabi and as you say whether they can uh, whether max can 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 contain that but 
What do both drivers need to do going into this final shootout for the championship? Win the race. That would help. That would help. <laughs> yes. Or finish in front of the other one. It's kind of as simple as that. No, it's uh, yeah. Sorry, Jess, but no, it's um, yeah. I think both of them. I think I, it's hard to say who the. I think the momentum you've got to say okay lies with Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes because of the form they've had in the last I mean it's three wins on the bounce now they've really come back into this fight but I think just the way that yeah the way that Verstappen approached today's race I think that it's um it kind of makes it clear that having the fastest car is not going to be enough in Abu Dhabi I think that it's really going to be particularly if they're locking out the front row together side by side into turn one it's going to be really really fascinating in terms of who's willing to do what um how far do they want to push it and I think that they might be tied on points, but because of the win situation, it's 9-8 to Verstappen. Um, it means that basically if neither of them finish, then Max would be world champion. And I'm not going to su- I'm not going to suggest that Max would do something as cynical as taking out Lewis deliberately to win the championship. But it's the kind of thing where like, if they do have a similar moment to today, where they're going side by side into a corner, Lewis, Lewis has more to lose than Max does. Max, Max, he can be, afford to be a bit more aggressive um, and try and basically spook Lewis a little bit because yeah okay if they if it if the move doesn't come off and um, it's uh, yeah Lewis tries to fight back basically and they, they make contacts and it ruins both their races for Max Pace the world champion he can be like I was defending my position so for Formula One to have this opportunity just as you said at the top of the show the first time in what 40 odd years that we've we've had a um, a tie going into the final race is just incredible and I just really hope we are given the end to this championship that we deserve because it has been a classic F1 season we've seen this in this um, battle between the two drivers of their respective generations and it has been amazing for the most part and today I was watching it and I was getting a bit like oh it's getting a bit ugly now and I was feeling a little bit a little bit down about it because I don't want it to be decided by a crash or a funny incident and I don't want it to be decided by the stewards dishing out a penalty or uh, a post-race investigation like I just want it to be settled on track and I really really hope that's what we're we are given um, at the end of it but I think it's going to be just such an exciting week and I I cannot wait. I really cannot wait. And the idea that in a week's time we're going to be talking about the world champion and is it going to be either for the first time ever an eight-time world champion or a new world champion. Either way, that's just so exciting. Summarised perfectly, I think, Luke. That was brilliant. But given uh, given this isn't the Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen podcast, uh, we should probably move on to the rest of the grid. Wait, what? I know, should right? Be. Shock. After today, it pretty much was. But I do feel like we should give some uh, airtime to the rest of the of the grid. The next kind of biggest story, I guess, was the, the drag race to P3, which, again, we've not seen... Well, we've, we have, we've had close calls for, for podium positions, but not for a long time. It was very... I mean, the final, final metres, Valtteri Bottas snatched... A uh, another podium away from Alpine, which would have been their consecutive podium since when was it? Twenty thirteen? Earlier than that? Earlier than that? That's a good stat, Jess. Nice. Yeah, but I might have got it wrong, so it it's might not be very an awful precise, stat. But anyway, it's still good. It's been it's been 
their, their first consecutive podium finishes in a long time. Let's just say that. And I'll have to try and quickly look it up from my uh, statisticians that are going out. The correct stat will be out on our social channels. Let's just say that. Uh, <laughs> and not from me, evidently. Ocon, he can't be disappointed with that performance, can he? I mean, but how on earth did Ocon end up fight in the fight for P3? Very good question, which I wish I had the exact answer to. But but obviously, like we can put it in a in a nice quick summary of in terms of being at the front, taking the advantage, making the places early on, and then basically being in that Max versus Lewis tussle at the start, being on the the third of the three pole sitters, getting away from from his other rivals of of, of Ricardo, uh, Pierre Gasly, uh, and the Ferraris who who sort of lost out as as the race sort of wore on car performance was was going to be a factor and, and Bottas eventually got by um, Ricardo after a few laps and, and then it was chasing down Ocon to the last. Ocon sort of knowing that ultimately he wasn't part of the, the fight at the front, letting them two get on it and then just running his own race and maximising that pace to the end to really just try and grab that grab that podium which ultimately sort of was almost similar to what, what Alonso did uh, uh, in, in, in Qatar um, but it, it isn't the first time uh, Bottas has, has stolen a place at the line by a tenth because uh, does anyone remember what happened at 2017 Azerbaijan Grand Prix go for it Bottas stole uh, a position off Stroll uh, at the line by a tenth of a second granted they both finished on the podium that day with Bottas second and Stroll third what you know what's curious as well when I was looking back at that race a certain uh, brake test or brake check that Vettel accused Hamilton of when they were going Very for a restart behind the safety car. Probably the last time that, that sort of instance happened. So just a massive uh, coincidence because no, neither of those two are, are related. It's just very, very nice to see those two things join up in a, in a very strange way. And that's a street track with a very long straight. Right, well, we, we are pretty much over time and we've only touched on four drivers on the grid. This podcast has been uh, kind of very heavily weighted to the top end, but I'm hoping, beyond hopes, that Luke is going to save the day by at least talking through some of the... Well, pretty much all the grid, Luke. I've left you with almost the entire grid to speak about. You left me with um, 15, 16 drivers. <laughs> wow. Okay. Many of them didn't but, finish, um, let's be fair. That's true. Yeah, come on. We lo- we had we had a we had a few dropouts. Can you please take us through the uh, the finishers f- and and the not like the, cover the non finishers too for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix for me, please. Daniel Ricciardo in fifth place for McLaren uh, bounced back from uh, yeah d- quite difficult uh, qualifying. He was I think one of a number of drivers who did benefit from the uh, the chaos under the restarts. I mean Ocon for example, he was able to uh, get up the order uh, quite a bit. But um, yeah, I mean Ricciardo was exactly the same. Um, yeah, in the end uh, came home a, a solid fifth for McLaren. Was uh, I think the team that sort of gaggle of midfield cars it was a lot down to track position really and the the margins between uh yeah ricardo and fifth all the way back to uh carlos science jr in eighth place it was very very tight so i think it does show that really track position was uh well, was king for that so he came home fifth uh pierre gasly was sixth he was very very uh, pleased with his performance after the race said that they couldn't really have done a lot more again for alpha tower it's uh just uh, i guess sort of sod's law that it's on another weekend where alpine have outscored them and had another stronger weekend so that 
that fight for uh, P5 and the constructors looks pretty much gone. Uh, Ferrari, Charles Leclerc, seventh, Carlos Sainz Jr. in eighth place. Uh, Leclerc, he obviously lost out in the clash with Perez that dropped him back a little bit. Um, Jesse mentioned it earlier, there was nearly a coming together between the two of them um, quite early on in the race. But uh, yeah, in the end, I think Ferrari swapped the positions back to avoid any any too much drama about that. But that's um, something I'll need to go back and look at in terms of what was said by the drivers uh, post-race. Uh, Antonio Giovinazzi in ninth place. I think we really need to sort of uh, give a shout out to his performance all weekend long. He got into Q3. Uh, he was running as high as seventh at one point. Um, and it was just after I'd spoken to George Russell and I was kind of thinking, oh, that... That fight for eighth place in the constructors, is it over yet? Could Alfa Romeo maybe make a late comeback? Um, in the end, he dropped back to ninth, so it's unlikely. But uh, yeah, a really good display by him. I think points is, uh, yeah, really good job. Uh, Lando Norris in 10th place, I mean, he was pretty disappointed post-race. And again, he was another driver who lost out um, basically because of all of the incidents ahead and it just dropped to the back of the order. And he didn't really uh, have too much of a, a chance to fight his way back up. Uh, Lance Stroll finished 11th for Aston Martin. A bit of a difficult weekend for them. They've really struggled in terms of the pace of the car. Um, Sebastian Vettel said on um, on Saturday that they were miles away. He said that they seemed, um, yeah, seemed that the track just didn't suit their car. And I think that they were probably probably the second slowest team all weekend apart from Haas. Vettel were touching on as well. He he retired from the race um, due to the damage picked up in the instance with Kimi Raikkonen and Yuki Tsunoda. Vettel said he felt bitter about the incident with Tsunoda because he felt he could have scored a point maybe. Uh, with Kimi, I said um, uh, asked about it and he said that he didn't really know where Kimi was, was going. They didn't know what he was doing. Uh, Seb got asked, oh, have you spoken to Kimi? And he was like, yep, yeah, but he didn't say much because it's Kimi. So that was uh, quite a nice touch there. Uh, Nicholas Latifi in 12th place. So he said it was a very sort of long and, tr- and trying race. But um, yeah, he said, again, it was one of those where they just didn't have the outright pace of the car to fight any higher up the order. Uh, Fernando Alonso in th- 13th, a bit like Norris, um, uh, sort of lost out in all of the all of the instances. He had a spin as well quite early on as well that dropped him back. Yuki Tsunoda, 14th. He picked up a time penalty for the collision with uh, Sebastian Vettel. Um, and he um, was, yeah, quite sort of taking of the blame for that a uh, bit of a shame for Yuki because he's really built up his confidence lately make you three again it was the first time all season he make you three on the medium tires as well so he's pretty pleased by that Kimi Raikkonen 15th uh, he struggled massively for pace because of the accident damage that he picked up in the clash with Vettel uh, Vettel we've touched on uh, Sergio Perez retired uh, he after the race said that the instance basically summed up danger that he'd highlighted in the track and the, the issues that um, could have been there. He on Saturday was even quite honest about it and said something's going to happen and it did. Nikita Mazepin also retired. Uh, yeah, he was okay after the, the shot with George Russell, as I said earlier. Uh, it seems that the team is probably going to have to uh, look at sorting his chassis because it was heavily damaged again after the impact. But uh, yeah, he said that he's just thankful for the safety measures in place because it's uh, the kind of crash you don't really want to be involved in. George Russell, we've already touched on as well. Again, he was very good about the uh, the, the track issues. And uh, Mick Schumacher, he was the first retiree. And uh, yeah, he said that he just lost control of the car, basically, and slammed into the barrier. Uh, was disappointed because he felt that Haas had been on a pretty good run um, this weekend. So uh, yeah, those are your finishers and non-finishers for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Luke. Wow. Amazing. 10 out of 10. What a summary. It's 4.29 in the morning and it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it's just one of those weekends where there's just so much happens and you're like, oh, this happened, that happened. And it's just funny that, yeah, we go through a, like a pod and it's like, oh, the other 16 guys, but all of them have these stories and it's been 
speaking personally, I mean, I, I've this is only the what third race, fourth race I've attended this season um, due to some personal reasons. But it's been so nice to be back and actually be in the paddock and talk to these guys and be like, what happened in your race and get the full story and the full picture. So it's, um, yeah, it's good to be able to do that instead of being like, oh, this guy finished 16th and we don't really know why because they've all got their own stories as much as the Lewis and Max fight is what is uh, going to dominate, I think, uh, um, the, the headlines for the coming days. Well, your insight from inside the paddock has definitely given a lot of colour to this podcast. So we thank you for that, Luke. And it's great to have you back out there chasing all these stories down for us. And I guess with that in mind, it probably is time for us to let you go to bed. Um, I'm sure Hayden and I also quite want to uh, want to go to bed. Yeah, it's that like half one for you guys as well. So yeah, yeah. I will say, Jess, I have had your other half suggest that uh, we go for a 0.0% beer, but I think I think I may pass on that with the greatest respect in the world. You go for a 0.0% morning tea. Yeah, um, uh, right. I was going to ask you who your driver of the day was. Is Can you even think about that? I, I, as I was thinking about this before I was about to ask you and I don't think I could come up with a driver of the day the fans voted Max yeah curious that the fans voted Verstappen if I was to pick one having a bit of time reflection Ocon probably stands out as in had a, had, had a decent race obviously was just missed out on that podium that would have sort of definitely nailed it down but um, you can't really fault, fault, fault what he did with the package that he's got really I will give it to I'll give it to Lewis Hamilton basically for absolutely pounding those last few laps, getting the fastest lap with a a front wing that was completely ruined, basically. So, uh, yeah, again, the Autosport British bias klaxon is going off. But no, I thought Lewis drove a a bloody good race. And I think that charge at the end to get that fastest lap point in the bag was really, really impressive. I think you saw after the podium, like ahead of the podium, even sorry, just how drained he was as well. So uh, no, um, I, I will go for Lewis Hamilton. And very interested to know what the listeners think as as well. But um, I guess with that said, we will tie up this podcast now. Uh, as Luke has mentioned, all of our post-race reaction will be coming online to autosport.com and autosport.com plus uh, the magazine will be out on thursday as per usual so look forward to that magazine subscribers uh, we will be going straight into abu dhabi weekend um, as luke said we are all extremely excited where ariana will be back for the podcasts uh, next weekend so make sure you stay tuned for for that where on sunday we will be crowning, as Luke said, either an eight-time world champion or a brand new Formula One world champion. This season, oh my gosh, this season. And with that, thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The world is waiting. Waiting for new thinking. For bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community. Working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.